Welcome to Classic Lutheran Preaching, C.F.W. Walther. C.F.W. Walther was a parish pastor, later professor and first president of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. He was also the first president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. These sermons were preached from 1840 to 1870, predominantly in congregations of the St. Louis area. Unfortunately, we do not know the specific dates and locations of most of these sermons as they have been lost to time. These sermons were originally preached and published in German and translated by Donald Heck. They're available in two volumes from Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. Thank you for listening. The fourth Sunday after Trinity, Luke six, thirty-six to forty-two. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. Amen. Dear friends in Christ Jesus, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. This is what we read in the gospel for today. These important, warning, and threatening words are frequently used to reprimand those who earnestly judge false doctrine and dare to judge those who are unbelievers or sinners. It is a quite general reproach that is made especially over against those preachers who earnestly cling to the pure doctrine and emphatically reject all heresy. They are accused of being loveless men with a mania for condemning not heeding the word of the Savior, judge not, condemn not. This expression, they say, will condemn these stern judges on judgment day. Many are deceived by this explanation. This accusation, however, resists upon a false explanation of those words. When Christ says, judge not, condemn not, this cannot possibly mean that no one dare judge and condemn false doctrine that one dare not pronounce God's judgment of damnation upon the unbelieving and wicked. No, in many passages of Holy Scripture, all servants of Christ have been given the clearest and most distinct command to do this. Christ gives all his servants the precise instruction, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Mark 16. Every preacher should preach not only salvation, but also damnation to unbelievers. Yes, woe is pronounced upon all who do not want to do the latter. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, Isaiah 5. We read in Ezekiel, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Chapter 3. Yes, Isaiah says of those who preachers who do not pronounce damnation upon the unrepentant, but wish to preach only sweet, pleasing things, They are all silent dogs. They cannot bark, dreaming, 
lying down, loving to slumber, Isaiah 56. This concerns not only preachers, but laymen just as well. They should also confidently condemn false doctrine and godless life. The Lord says to all Christians, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves, Matthew 7. How can hearers be on their guard against false prophets if they dare not judge, reject, and condemn false doctrine? Christ says that the members of the congregation should consider those as Gentiles and tax collectors who despise their admonition. Must they not condemn them? Paul admonishes, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, Ephesians 5. But how could the layman reprove the godless of the world if they dare not, dare not say that it leads to damnation? In all of this, Christ, the prophets, the apostles, the first Christians set the example. Did not Christ at countless times pronounce woe upon the Pharisees and scribes, these false teachers? Did not Paul say to the Galatians, If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed? Did he not say of the enemies of Christ's cross that their end is damnation? Did he not say that it has delivered the heretics, Hymenaeus and Alexander, to Satan, that they may be chastised and learn not to blaspheme, 1 Timothy 1? Does not the apostle of love say, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your own house or give him greeting, 2 John 10? And finally, is not the congregation at Ephesus praised because they had tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false? Revelation 2. I hope that it is obvious to all of you that it is not forbidden to reprove, judge, form an opinion, and condemn false doctrine and manifest ungodly life. Yes, whoever does not do that acts most unkindly. Whoever sees his neighbor head toward hell and still does not warn and show him his great danger, God regards him as being to blame that the person he did not reprove was lost. But now you will say, what is the forbidden judging and condemning? It is nothing else than the judging of hearts, judging not according to God's word, but according to our own thoughts. It is judging in impertinence, without love and mercy. Christ begins our text with the words, Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Permit me now to speak to you on what should move us to show this Christian mercy. Luke 6, 36-42. Jesus says, Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be put on your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. 
So far, our text. What should move Christians to show mercy to their neighbor? The mercy of God which they enjoy? The harsh retaliation which awaits them? And finally, their own failings which which they themselves are burdened should move them to show this mercy. We pray. O Lord God, Heavenly Father, how great and boundless is your goodness toward us. How tender your mercy. How tireless your patience. Alas, how seldom we follow your most holy example. How much hardness of heart. How much hatred and irreconcilableness. How much lovelessness in daily living is noticeable among us. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Awaken us now through your word, that the fire of your love may seize us all. May we remain in love and finally come to perfect love in that blessed life. Hear us now for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen. Suppose a criminal who had been led to the place of execution to receive the just rewards of his deeds would be pardoned contrary to his expectation. Would it really be possible for him to wish that his accomplice be immediately condemned to death without absolutely any mercy? Or suppose a person should fall into deep water. Terrified, he sees himself seek beneath the surface. And if he should be rescued by a person who risked his own life, should he immediately after his rescue be indifferent towards someone just as unfortunate? Certainly not. As long as he recalls the great love he experienced, it will make him tender and kind toward others. Here is the first reason which must move a Christian to be merciful toward his neighbor. It is the mercy of God that he enjoys. To the admonition, be merciful, Christ in our text adds, even as your Father is merciful. No one has become a true Christian, a blessed child of God, through his merits and worthiness, but alone through the incomprehensible mercy of God. For if God were only righteous and not merciful, no person would be saved. A Christian who experiences God's grace cannot consider himself better than others who do not have that grace and are still in their sins. No, he must confess that though he is the greatest sinner, God, out of pure grace for Christ's sake, has made him his child. Whoever supposes that he became a Christian in another way is still no Christian. Not only is being merciful befitting a Christian, but it is to be merciful and to be a Christian can never be separated. And all other signs showing that one is a Christian are void if the sign of mercy is lacking. Paul testifies, If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. 1 Corinthians 13. Now someone can be very weak in knowledge, weak in overcoming the world, weak in restraining his temper, weak in confidence, and so forth, and still be a Christian. But whoever is unmerciful, on him God's grace has been spent in vain. Certainly, God's mercy has not made any impression on him. Nothing else is possible. All who have experienced the unfathomable love of God in Christ know that their sins are forgiven. They know that God has made them his blessed children out of grace. Their hearts have become soft and pliable. As the prophet says, God has turned their unfeeling hearts, which are stony by nature, into tender hearts of flesh. Through the experience of God's mercy, even those hearts, which by nature are the most obstinate, become soft and tender. When greedy Zacchaeus came to know Christ, 
immediately he gave half of his goods to the poor. That irreconcilable, raging Saul, through the grace that rose in his heart, became a Paul burning with love. He is ready to die for the hostile brethren according to the flesh, yet to be damned by Christ if he could thereby save them. Through grace, he who by nature is most inhuman becomes sympathetic. The most uncommunicative becomes approachable in every distress. The hardest heart becomes soft as wax. The lion becomes a lamb. A Christian knows through God's mercy he is free from the judgment. He is unwilling to and cannot lovelessly judge his fellow sinners. A Christian knows through God's mercy he is free from damnation. He is unwilling and cannot lovelessly condemn his companions in guilt. A Christian knows through Christ's mercy All sins are forgiven to him. He is unwilling to and cannot be irreconcilable toward those who may have sinned greatly against him. A Christian knows that out of unfathomable mercy, God has given him his dear son, righteous, heaven, and eternal life, and has made him a multimillionaire. He is unwilling to and cannot close his heart and hands to his needy neighbor. A Christian knows that no day, no hour, no second passes in which he did not offend God anew with his sins, that every second he needs and richly enjoys God's mercy. His heart is therefore always like a broken vessel. His false courage has sunk within him. He can no longer be stiff-necked toward his neighbor. A tenderness, which will not permit him to grieve another willfully, lives in his soul. He would rather hurt himself than another. Even the world can see that Christians are not revengeful, but that they cherish a steady, kind feeling toward all. At times, even a Christian judges unmercifully, but soon he knows how seriously he has sinned. He becomes ashamed of himself. In deep remorse, he comes to God and accuses himself of having made completely himself unworthy of further mercy from God. He humbly cries to God for new grace, and now even more earnestly and painstakingly watches over his evil heart. Therefore, my dear hearers, do not deceive yourself. If you are a Christian, if you are a child of God, you will also be minded as your heavenly Father is. You will be merciful toward your neighbor. And if you are not, you are still not a Christian. For Christ says that to whom much is forgiven also loves much. We continue and consider in the second place that the harsh retaliation which awaits them must move Christians to show mercy toward their neighbor. Christ speaks of that when he says in our text, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. My friends, we should never conclude from these words that by showing mercy to our neighbor, we can merit God's mercy. For as we have heard, God must first give us his love. Then love to our neighbor can enter our hearts. We should conclude this, though, that we are unmerciful is a sign that we still do not have faith. Our sins are still unforgiven. Or, if we once had grace, we have lost it again. 
God is a righteous God. He would find it impossible to forgive our sins if our neighbor must accuse us before him. God must do to us as we do to our neighbor. Oh, what a powerful inducement that is for being merciful to our neighbor. Do you not wish that God would shut his eyes every day and hour to your doings? Certainly. Well then, shut your eyes to the daily and hourly failings of your neighbor. Do you not wish to escape God's judgment? Certainly. Well then, never lovelessly judge your neighbor, but excuse him whenever you can and speak well of him to the best of your knowledge. Before others, and in your own heart, put the best construction on everything which he does. Do you not want to avoid the sentence of damnation? Most certainly. Well then, do not condemn your neighbor. Do not right away lovelessly deny him grace and salvation whenever you see something evil in him. Do not immediately give up all hope that even the most godless could be converted and come to grace. Do you not wish that God would forgive you everything? Remember your sins no more, not add them up, keep no anger, but would hurl all your guilt into the depths of the sea? Certainly. Then, wholeheartedly and sincerely, forgive your enemies. Do not hate them. Pray that God might forgive them their sins. Finally, do you not wish that God would give you everything with which you need in this life in the way of food and clothing? That God would comfort and graciously deliver you in every trouble? Certainly. Well then, be merciful toward your neighbor. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who would borrow of you. Let your brother's misery pierce your heart. Look on it as your own. And help him with advice and comfort, with money and goods. Yes, where necessary, with body, blood, and life. Bear in mind that God, so to say, looks with sharper eyes on how you act toward your neighbor than toward himself. All your sins against God, be they ever so many and serious, will be forgiven. But if you wish to remain unmerciful toward your neighbor, God takes all his grace back and becomes your enemy again. If you wish to continue to judge your neighbor, and as soon as you see something wrong, yes, merely suspicious, having the appearance of evil, and explain it in the most evil way, if you do not wish to reprimand him, but either judge him in your heart and despise him as a non-Christian, or even secretly spread the story behind his back, yes, what is really devilish, if you want to make your neighbor's sins even greater than they are, maliciously magnify them in order to disgrace him, then know that God will measure you again with the measure with which you have measured your neighbor. God will again judge you. On Judgment Day, he will reveal your sins to all creatures, even your most secret sins, which otherwise no one knew but you and God. Then God will make your sins so great that you will become shocked at yourself. Ah, my friends, therefore, judge not, and you will not be judged. If you want to condemn your neighbor lovelessly, if you do not pity him when he has fallen deeply, but condemn him as being unworthy of God's grace, if you want to exalt yourself over the tax collectors and sinners and think yourself better, if you want to impart salvation to yourself and deny it to others, then know that God will again condemn you. 
you will face an unmerciful judgment. God himself will summon you in order to judge you as you have judged your neighbor. Then you will become frightened and pale at the sentence of damnation, which you have often pronounced upon your neighbor. Therefore, condemn not, my friends, and you will not be condemned. If you do not wish to forgive your neighbor, if you refuse him the reconciliation which he offered, or if you do not ask for forgiveness from him when you have offended, if you do not want to go after your brother who has offended in order to try to bring about a reconciliation, if you wish to let him continue in his sins and do not ask whether he is lost or not through his sinning against you, if you wish to harbor the thought, whoever has offended me must come to me, I won't go after him, then know that God will measure to you with the same measure. When you pray for forgiveness in our Lord's Prayer, God will not hear you. God will not reprimand your unknown sins through his Holy Spirit. He will harden you and let you hurl yourself into eternal ruin. And when you appear before his throne, God will let those with whom you did not want to be reconciled accuse you and forever and ever refuse you his reconciliation. Alas, you will then beg, but God will not hear you. Pointing towards your neighbor, he will say, I never knew you, you evildoer. What you have done to the least on earth, you have done to me. You have refused reconciliation to your neighbor. You have refused it to me. Depart from me into eternal fire. Ah, therefore, forgive, my friends, and you will be forgiven. Finally, if you remain hard toward the temporal distress of your neighbor, do not lend to him, do not aid him in his affliction, are not generous to him in his need, do not comfort him in his misfortune and sorrow. If you rather wish to be rich and happy and allow others near you to starve, then know that God will pour out upon you the same measure. In eternity, you, as the rich man did, can also starve and receive not even one drop of water for your parched tongue. Ah, how your temporal goods can have dried tears, stilled sobs, refreshed the miserable, delivered the unfortunate, but to which you hard-heartedly held fast. Ah, how in eternity your money and goods, which you greedily embraced, will be nothing but white-hot chains around your body, nothing but an oppressing and grinding burden of coins upon your trembling heart. Ah, therefore, my friends, give and it will be given to you. To the merciful, God will be merciful. To the good, God will be good. To the forgiving, God will be forgiving. To the generous, God will be generous. For God is righteous. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. As certainly as God is holy, and his word is the truth. Therefore, my hearers, if you wish to see your future destiny, then take care. As you treat your neighbor and your foe and offender, as you judge him, as you do to him, so God will again do to you. If you do well to your enemy, God will again do well to you. If you show no love to your enemy, God will also deny you his love. He will be and remain your enemy forever and ever. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. At the close, we read, he also told them a parable. 
Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Through this parable, Christ shows Christians that their own failings with which they are burdened should move them to show mercy toward their neighbor. We generally experience that those who themselves are burdened with the greatest failings are the harshest judges of others. If the world sees the smallest mote in a believer, and it, it immediately pounces upon him as though it were the greatest scoundrel on earth, also the heretical, as a rule, act that way. If they can uncover the least failing in doctrine or life in the orthodox, they magnify this so that every Christian, yes, heaven and earth must shudder, but that they, the heretical, willfully twist God's word, that they nullify the most holy sacraments, that they make God a liar. These great beams they do not see, or they consider them mere trifles against no one which no one dare speak without committing great crime. But that the world and the heretical are such proud hypocrites dare not surprise us. If they judge God himself, how much more will they judge men? Even Christians are not free from many failings. Their righteousness and holiness is not their own, but Christ's. Even they must cry out, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Psalm 130. Enter not into judgment with your heart, for no one is living no one living is righteous before you, Psalm 143. Even they must daily pray the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. They are righteous before God only because they believe in Christ. Without faith, their sins would damn them just as well as other men's. Even if a Christian has progressed far in his Christian life, he must still appear before God as a poor, sinful beggar. Yes, if a Christian does not do this, if he begins to look at his improved life and lose his poverty of spirit, while harshly and sternly judging others, he begins to say in his heart, God, I thank you that I am not as other men. He ceases to be a Christian and becomes a proud, hypocritical Pharisee, and alas, how many have fallen through spiritual pride. My dear Christian, if you recognize that you are a sinner, let this move you to be merciful towards your neighbor. If you see in another a sin which you do not have, then think that you have other sins which are just as reprehensible before God, yes, maybe even more so than those of your neighbor. If you see another who sins through jests and frivolity, do you not perchance sin even more by a sullen nature? You see another who does not know how to save money. Is it not possible that you sin by attaching too much importance to it? You see another who, in your opinion, is not industrious enough. Do you not perhaps sin by working too anxiously at your calling? You see another who sins, as you suppose, by unwise and impertinent confession of the truth. May you not possibly sin through fear and denial? You take offense at others who often become very angry. May you not sin even more through secret hatred and envy? You are offended that one is ridiculously conceited about his good looks, his stylish clothes, or his money. May you not, in a certain sense, pride yourself on your gifts of the Spirit, your understanding, and the like? In short, Though you may see in others much that is blameworthy, you will find thousands of other things, if you know yourself, which make you no less ashamed of yourself. Should not this move you to be merciful 
indulgent, and humble toward your neighbor? Certainly, as far as God is concerned, when one neglects himself in judging the mote of another, his own mote will become a beam. His sins, which God would otherwise gladly forgive, become great, heavy, and damnable. He fiddles away God's grace and his soul's salvation. Oh, now, may each of us, on the basis of today's text, institute an instant and earnest self-examination. Christ says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. John 13. Yet who among us has this sign of a true Christian? It is undeniable not a few of us lack it. Not a few show themselves loveless toward their brothers, especially to those by whom they were offended. Bear in mind, if you love only those who love you, you do no more than the heathen do. You are in a state in which you, despite your Christian knowledge, remain an enemy of God and cannot possibly be saved. Repent, therefore. Pray God that his Holy Spirit may grant you the true knowledge of your loveless heart. Throw away all previous false comfort. Seek grace in Christ who, through his boundless love, has borne and atoned for our lovelessness. If you will recognize that you are loveless, and as a loveless person seek forgiveness, then true love will enter your heart. You will become true children of God who are filled with the mercy of their heavenly Father toward their neighbor. May God grant that none of us may deceive himself in respect to his salvation, and finally all be saved through God's love in Christ Jesus. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all. Amen. You've been listening to Classic Lutheran Preaching, CFW Walther. These sermons are available in two volumes as a part of Walther's Works, Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. We thank you for tuning in, and we pray that God's Word has and will continue to be a great blessing in your life. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.